This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and your one-stop shop for optimizing all your office technology. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Is it caught? Is it caught? Oh my goodness, it's caught! DeAndre Hopkins caught it! He caught it for a touchdown! You've got to be joking me! Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Kyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the guys who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I certainly don't need any trip defense to uh, get some rest this week. 11 games into the bye week, and when the media guy is actually tired and worn out, you know it's been a grueling season. Are you with me, Darren Urban, Felipe Corral Jr., yours truly, Paulie Pencilnik, Paulie Podcast over here, and yes, yes indeed, it does feel like a Monday. How many times have I asked questions like that to the James Connors of the world, but it definitely feels like a Monday coming off the Seattle road trip. Although, Darren, you know, it's one of those uh, feel-good Mondays, a victory Monday of sorts, considering what the Cardinals just did in Seattle. Yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, Paul, I, 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 are you sure it's it's the 11 games before the bye and it's not just you're getting older and you know, these things tend to <laughs> wow. last with you a little bit longer? Well, that took 37 seconds. I will say, Take that uh, poke. yeah, I, I don't think there's any question that it's nicer to be in here, especially with a short week this week. Uh, and and the buy on the other side of, of the holiday and and knowing that this team rallied off a win. No, nobody wanted uh, a two-game losing streak, especially around here. It would have made this podcast very, very difficult. What is more telling? The Cardinals go up. They beat the Seahawks for the fifth time in seven years in Seattle. Or B, this is multiple choice. B, they leave the Seahawks one and four at home. C, Pete Carroll, Coach Double Rainbow, ends his press conference in frustration then comes back a half hour later. Or D, the fact that your fans are now having Kyler Murray sign their Seahawks lids before the game along the front row. <laughs> what, what is more telling that the tide has turned in the NFC West or E, Felipe, all of the above? I think – well, I mean, E would be the easy choice, right? <laughs> sure, all of sure. Above, but. Yeah, but all well, one and, above. and it would be giving Paul out of credit because he came up all those, all with all those off the top of his head. But, but I, 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 do but think I, I, I say, I mean, I'm pretty sure you guys are gonna disagree, but I'd say D. <laughs> I'd say Kyler Murray signing jerseys of Seahawks fans because he didn't even play, so he had extra time to, to do that. So the fact that they're asking him for for an autograph and he didn't even step foot on the field for not even a snap, he wasn't even active, nothing. That I think that's actually kind of well. Telling. See, that's my question. Like, I didn't, I didn't see. I saw the tweet by Cam yeah. Cox. I didn't of the hat, but I didn't see. I didn't see how it went down. What's more surprising that a Seahawks fan wants his gear signed by an opposing player, or that Kyler Murray said, sure, I'll sign a Seahawks hat. It's sort of like, you know, if if, if you're Kyler Murray, and, and he wrote, by the way, go cards on it, as yeah. our Jim Omohundra is showing. To, to, <laughs> and by the way, Ohms noticed it in real time. We were in the booth, and there was Kyler Murray, and then Ohms had the uh, binoculars on. He said, wait a minute, there's a Seahawks fan with a Seahawks lid that Kyler's signing right now. And, yes, of course. Was he, it a kid, or was it like, okay, at least it was a kid. Yeah, it was a kid, and it, and it said go cards. 
But, I mean, isn't it, that's sort of like, I don't know, um, if you're a Seahawks fan, that's sort of like the South signing after the Civil War and declaring that you lost to the North. I mean, honestly, I mean, that, that that's like some sort of treaty at the end of a war I, that I we're was, done and we concede. I was going to go with, like, that's like an ASU Sun Devil signing a, a Wildcat. You but you went all the way that's, back that's to the Civil good, War. That's a good, that's that was, a good week to bring that up, too, Felipe. Yes. I, By the way, is. Jed Fish. Uh, Jed Fish wasn't around last year. How could he remember that the ASU threw a fourth down pass when it was 63-7 to and say we remember that when he wasn't around to remember it? I'm sure his media relations director remembered okay. and uh, informed fair. him accordingly All so right. he can have some faux outrage a year later even though he wasn't there. It was a tough game for Seahawks fans. It really was. Uh, you guys had that tweet or whom, Cam Cox sent that out. Yeah, uh, we, we sent out the sign guy. At halftime, he was wielding a handwritten sign that reads, we needed a weak team like the cards today, except needed was spelled N-E-A-D-E-D. Needed, as in dough, uh, minus but, but the we, K. We had this conversation on the plane, though, Paul. He yeah. was doing that on purpose, right? I, I, mean, I, I, I suppose, although somebody did tweet me back, hey, I'm just – the guy said, I'm proud that the man nailed the word weak, W-E-A-K, instead of W-E-E-K, and he got the right for form of – of week we needed a weak team like the cards today hey, we, we talked about this this is yeah. a the sign guy has got there's an interesting dynamic there uh and obviously the seahawks are a poor team right now so i'm sure it makes it a little bit easier but he's a fairly good sport i was literally standing yeah. you know three feet underneath him basically at the end of the game and there were at least a a, a 10 combination of of uh, play Cardinals players, Cardinals coaches, and the owner, by the way, who either dapped him up or shook his hand or or said a little something to him, so that you know he got it. He got a chance to to say nice things. Michael Bidwell talking to him was the most um, uh, impressive thing to me, for sure. There's another one. Kingsbury looks like a junior high school PE teacher. <laughs> And, it, and I, I know it gets a laugh, okay? But can I just say this? And, and I'm only half kidding. The sign guy has taken the same path as his team. They've lost their edge. They're now both soft. There was a time 10 years ago when sign guy had a sarcastic, snarky edge to him. And he would let you have it verbally. Well, 10 years ago, they were like one of the best teams yeah. in football, though. And, and so I'm not sure what, you know, begetted the other. But, I mean, sign guy is soft, and, and so are the Seahawks at home, one and four. I'm just saying he doesn't have nearly the same edge he used to. Pa, I like how you're giving this guy a name to an extent. I mean, the fact that you're labeling him sign guy, you might Well, first see of all, I want to know why, if all these coaches and players are dapping him and talking to him, how come you're not, Paul? You've, you've probably well, spent more time with him than any of I those I told guys. you two years ago he insulted my backpack. I was walking oh, out of the right. tunnel, and he that said, came up last week, didn't hey, my, uh, my daughter has that backpack. She's in fourth grade. So, you know, uh, he hurt my feelings a couple of years ago, and so I've had a grudge ever since. Uh, but more, more importantly, look – uh, and I totally forgot what I was going to say about Sign Guy. Oh, yeah, he does have a first name, by the way. To your point, Sign Cliff Kingsbury. Cliff Kingsbury said on his weekly TV show game plan that I think it was Rob or Ron. It's one or the other. Okay. He knows him. Cliff Kingsbury is on a first-name basis with how the Sign Cliff, Guy. How does Kingsbury even know him? Know. That's, they all, they, that's they all know the, the guy. But he had no signs. He had nothing to say at the end of the game because everybody now, the Cardinals won 23-13. And I'm not sure what stands out to you guys the most, whether it was Cole McCoy, whether it was Zach Ertz, whether it was the fact at one point 
before the Seahawks scored their lone touchdown to the game. They ended a drought of 20 straight possessions without a touchdown. Hashtag ouch. I mean, think of everything. How about the fact Chandler Jones is now in the all-time top 10 sack leaders in stadium history? This just in, Chandler Jones has never played for the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, there's a lot. Which, and I'd love to know how many games he actually played there with the Patriots. That's all got to be because of his one trip a year with the, with the Cardinals, right? I think it's a half dozen games he has played in his career. No, it has to be more than that because it's been with the Cardinals. Maybe a dozen games. But well, every- he didn't play there last year, though, Okay, so he was hurt. So maybe it is. May- I, think it's, I think it's single digits, but everyone oh, else sure is, everyone else is between 20, 20 and 75 games played. Oh, no, I guarantee that you it's venue. single digits. I mean, so he's he only been in the league for a decade. Of the games played versus the other guys in that stadium. Yeah. So, I mean, Chandler always, always – and, and, and let's face it, we don't know if it's because Chandler decided to pull out his cleats – <laughs> from uh, his 2019 right. four-sack game and yep. wear them for this one. Yeah. Uh, we don't, or we don't know if it was Colt McCoy saying, get out of your own head and just go sack the quarterback. Yeah, attention Bertrand Berry. Apparently you have some competition in the marketplace for pass rush consultants because Colt McCoy uh, came out yeah, and go. he's running his own train station and he's given pass rushing advice to Chandler Jones. Was it pass rush adv- uh, advice or was it more like – Hey, you're the best linebacker in the in the NFL. You think Colt was actually giving him like pass no. rush advice? I would have liked to see. Well, that. but see, ultimately, no, it wasn't like, <laughs> hey, here's their. Be- here's the- I like this rip move, Chandler. I think it's a lot more. I worked on it on the offseason. <laughs> That's right. Here's, you should, you here's try the it swim out. move I yeah. use on my kids yeah. in the backyard. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I think it was like think less, play more. It was just, just mm-hmm. feel the game. Well, Chandler right? Chandler said it was basically like you know, you know. Don't stop thinking so much, and Colt explained it as just go get the quarterback. That's uh, don't worry yeah. about all the rest of this stuff. Again, do I have to go back to the Happy Gilmore? Feel the flow, Happy. You know, bad karma out, good vibes in. You know, it's the whole Happy Gilmore, Kevin Nealon character. You go. It's like the equivalent of baseball, where you can get into the box and you can think of a million different things you can do with the mechanics of your swing. Or at that point, you can just tell yourself, see ball, hit ball. Because you put in all the work in the batting cage, and you can overthink it. And so Chandler Jones, he apparently agreed with Colt McCoy, did he not? That maybe he was overthinking everything. Just feel the game. He has the skill set. He has the maneuvers. And just let it come to him and react accordingly. Was it – see, what was he overthinking? Was it like coming back from COVID and that kind of took a a little toll on him? Was it everything, you know, in the offseason? Was it offensive lines – you know, doubling him in pass pro was it not having J.J. Watt. I feel like it's a combination of a lot of those things that it kind of got to him to an extent. I I do believe this, even though he came out during when everything was going on and he when he hadn't had a sack yet and he claimed he wasn't thinking about sacks, I call bull on that. I do think (laughs) he was – Not bull, cap. You call cap. That's cap. So, uh, you know, I I do think that – I think that got into his head a little bit. Now, obviously, he had a he he had one recently uh, with the whole you know <laughs> shirt out and mm-hmm. getting fined and everything. Um, but I, I mean, I, I don't know how much of it is is overthinking. I mean, some some of it is that other stuff. I mean, I don't know if it's so much thinking about it, but it's just like, hey, you're you're going through a down period. I mean, Chandler's the first one who sits there and says your sacks come in bunches. 
So he wasn't in the, one of those times when he was getting uh, sacks coming in bunches. And I will say this, especially for Chandler Jones, but really for most pass rushers out there, there's fewer things that can help with that better than going to play the Seahawks. Yeah, it, we were on the flight out, and Wolf was looking at film, and the Seahawks' offensive line was just as bad as he thought it was, just as bad as it has been most of the last five or six years. They just do not invest in their offensive line, or when they have, it's been an epic fail. Even Dwayne Brown, who may or may not be hurt, he didn't have a good game against Green Bay, and I didn't see him have a good game against the Arizona Cardinals. So for a number of factors, Chandler Jones and his ability to have epic games in Seattle – so, yeah, could have been the shoes, right? The old Michael Jordan, yeah. right, uh, Spike Lee. It's got to yeah. be the shoes, Mike, you know. and uh, Or it's what Cliff told us after the game on the radio side where he said that Chandler Jones told him pregame, quote, I got something for you today, coach. Mm-hmm. That's, what, that's what Cliff told us on the radio side afterwards. So he had a premonition. He had some confidence, you know, and uh, all that. And, and, comp- and then there's Marcus Golden who might be pushing him. Marcus Golden yeah. with 10 sacks, and uh, not only is Marcus Golden hunting quarterbacks, he's hunting performance bonuses and incentives, apparently, right? That's another 500 grand in his back pocket. Yeah, and, and Field Yates of ESPN also said that with three more sacks, he'd make another extra million dollars, so that'll be interesting. <laughs> nice. And by the way, as a follow-up to the uh, Chandler Jones stuff, because Jim Omohundro is, is doing the research while we're talking here, uh, Chandler Jones played two games in Seattle while he was with the Patriots and actually had three sacks. So that's a pretty nice for, for being rarely there. But he's played in – this is his seventh year with the Cardinals. No, yeah, so 16, 17, 18, 19, didn't play in 20, 21. So this is only his fifth game with the Cardinals. So he's played seven games total gotcha. in, in Seattle. Hmm. So there you go. I mean, you're talking about a, a Seahawks team that only ran 49 plays. Think about the disparity – 83 to 49. I mean, you're like, okay, wait a minute. Colt McCoy threw 44 pass attempts? He went 35 of 44 for 328, two touchdowns, no picks, passer rating to 113, basically. But if I would have told you before the game, Colt McCoy is going to go to the air 44 well, times. I, I do. But wanna, that's because he ran 83 plays. I also want to quibble with that just a tad and say that of those 44 attempts, I would have to go back and look, but I would hazard a guess that anywhere between six and ten of them were basically elongated handoffs the Ertz pass isn't a pass he you know that's a shovel that's a that's a handoff that you know isn't um he cliff ha- after the game by the way says zach Ertz owes him on that one yeah he said he owes him on that one because that's about as easy that's as it as gets, easy it gets. Yeah. um i know rondale moore had at least one like that where he came in motion and he just flipped in the ball real quick which is essentially a handoff but it counts as a pass there was at least one of those and then there was a couple of those quick screens out there i mean if you looked at Ron, Rondale Moore had 11 catches, and I was looking at the next-gen stats of his route running, and um, all 11 of those came inside 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, mm. uh, and obviously a couple along the line of scrimmage. So uh, none of his targets were very far down the field. It was a very safe passing game. And I don't really have a problem with 44 passing attempts when you're not taking a lot of risk, and they really they didn't take a lot of risk, Felipe. They, they, they made sure Colt McCoy was able to – you know, stay within himself, as it were. I think they also took advantage of Russell Wilson, obviously coming back from injury. It was only his second game, coming off one of his w- 
the worst performances of his year uh, of his career and i think the seahawks only had the ball for like 19 minutes and 40 seconds something something, something along the line yep. while the cardinals yep. had the ball for a little bit over 40 minutes so just uh, an exquisite game plan from cliff king's raid to keep the ball out of Russ, russell wilson's hands you knew that the seahawks were going to come in and try to run the ball as they did they ran the ball a ton they didn't necessarily have too much too much success so just another you know when we talk about cliff kingsbury's top performances this year i think this is within the top three because you go on the road against a divisional opponent with colt mccoy and you do practically the same thing that you did to the 49ers and i what your 4-0 in your division and two of those games come with colt mccoy just a perfect game plan overall by cliff kingsbury yeah, the time of possession, you're right, 40 to 20. Total plays dominated by the Cardinals, 30-plus more than Seattle. You're right, you keep the ball out of the hands of Russell Wilson and you get the ball out of the hand of Colt McCoy really quick. The next-gen stats said the Cardinals use quick passes. I guess they define as 2.5 seconds or less. You know, work with these next-gen stats people on this stuff, okay? 73% <laughs> of Colt McCoy's passing attempts were considered quick passes, and then 33% of his dropbacks were play action. On the play action, he went 13 of 14. On the quick passes, he went 25 of 32. So there's no doubt that was definitely part of the game plan. And it was interesting. I went back and I jotted it down. We were doing the pregame huddle. Drew Stanton, former backup quarterback, longtime quarterback in the league with the Cardinals and others. And he said repeatedly, you got to get Colt McCoy into a rhythm. You got to get him into a rhythm early. That's what he did against the Niners. That's obviously what not, never happened against Carolina. But I think that's what they try to do against Carolina, which is why everybody's like, why are you throwing so much early? Because you're, you're trying to make sure that he's in the game. And, and so I don't I, – I really like – I mean, it, it, the only thing – the only thing I didn't like yesterday, which is kind of funny to even say because uh, I think Colt McCoy played a wonderful game – was uh, a couple of those screens to Rondale Moore. One time it was kind of unavoidable because of the – but, yeah, he looped – he would loop the passes a little bit more. I mean, those have to be, uh, to me, fired out there. So Rondale Moore has fewer people out there. The way Colt McCoy was throwing it, it was just taking a little bit too long for Rondale to get it. And by that time, the defensive back closed. And Rondale Moore is not big enough to break a good tackle okay. most so, of the time. So hit the brakes right there. All right. Was that the chest injury? Was that the peck oh, injury? Uh, that's, uh, that I don't know. Because more than once I'm down there going, mm, there's a few of those, especially when he's kind of throwing to either side yeah. where he didn't have a lot of velocity on the ball. And I'm like, wow, yeah. I wonder if – because I'm not sure if we ever got definitive word as to how much he practiced. But when I asked Cliff Kingsbury, what was Colt McCoy's practice week like? And he paused, and all he told us in the postgame radio was, well – I didn't know his status until much later than I would have liked. Yeah. That's all he said. Something That's cryptic. Fair. So, and the one A.J. Green down the field was a jump ball. Yeah. yeah. Was that a jump ball? Because that's all Colt McCoy was capable oh, of really I see, throwing. I, see, I mean, yeah. these are things I'm asking myself as I'm watching the game unfold. Now, there were a couple see, of – See, this is next-level analysis, Paul. There were a couple down the seam that had some zip on them to Zach Ertz and company. There's a 20-yarder to Zach Ertz. That had a little bit of zip on it. So, it wasn't he wasn't floating balls the entirety of the game. But my question to you now is, do you run a quarterback draw knowing that he has that injury and you risk <laughs> getting tackled? I did yeah. wonder that a couple times. Yeah. He ran the ball, and I'm like, well, okay. Well, next level, Cliff, I asked him about that play call, and he said he'd been holding on to that since early in the Carolina game, and it just obviously never materialized. He didn't want to waste it. But, yeah, he said he said he had been sitting on that play call with Cole McCoy. I and, saw a great, you know, uh, a great tweet. There's a, there's a, 
there's a Twitter feed and, and props to the, these guys or girls, I guess, who, who run these things. Somebody, somebody has a no-context Cardinals Twitter feed, which is literally like pictures and videos with no context. He just puts them out every <laughs> once in a while. Sometimes you can draw a parallel of why he's putting them out, and sometimes you can't. Another what, guy it's just – supposed to be like an inkblot test? What do you mean? Yeah, he just throws it out there and you – Follow it and you'll okay, know. It's, right. it's not bad. But then okay. somebody else created a some-context – Cardinals feed and that person tweeted out today that uh, that draw it's not the first time Cliff has hit up the Seahawks and last year at home I'm assuming it was last year was the same exact draw except it was Kyler Murray it was a third down go and then Kyler went right up the middle and it was like it was blueprint except Kyler he actually scored whereas obviously Colt went down inside the 10 or wherever he got tackled but uh, it, it was a very uh, a great play and that late in the game that's what I really loved about it. it was like you saved it until you really had to have it and and then that's why that's why Colt McCoy I think had such a great game yesterday was he had guys make plays for him for sure yesterday there were some good catches Adrian Green made some good catches guys made catches on balls that we're, we're tougher, maybe not right there, but the fact that in these two wins, Colt McCoy has come up big on third downs and delivered when he's needed. I just, I've been just so impressed. I tell you, after that final touchdown drive, he came racing off the field. I, he was like in a gallop. He was half bouncing. He was half sprinting, strutting. He was all fired up. And, and, and you could, think about it. He has more wins in Seattle than Russell Wilson does all year. <laughs> the Seahawks are one and four this year. Think about that. And and he was I mean, Cliff was fired up and, and it was interesting because late third quarter, Cardinals had bogged down on offense a little bit, and Cliff does something he doesn't do a lot of. He got the entire offense together, except Colt McCoy, who was talking to Cam Turner, and I couldn't hear what he was saying because you can't hear much in Seattle. But he was adamant, and he was emphatic, and he was yelling at everyone, at the O-line, at the weapons. Everyone was was gathered around. And then after the game, I asked him about that, and he said, well, my message was we were waiting for the game to end. When I wanted our offense to end it, I wanted our offense to finish it. And so when they did that with a 10-play, 67-yard drive about five minutes off the clock, and boom, they punch it in, and there you go. I mean, that sideline lit up. And, and Colt McCoy foremost among them. You think – you think he said it in that fashion, though? <laughs> That's the question. It, you it, think it he, was, he was that nice about it? Was it was suitable for radio, the way he translated it. There, there, there's a specific third and seven play that Colt McCoy completed to to Zach Ertz that kept that specific drive going. I think he was rolling out to his oh, left, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Again, the one where go, he hit him on the run? Yeah, yeah. I it, think he was going right. He was I, think, going, I think Ertz was coming this way, and I think McCoy was going this way, but I could be wrong. So the fact that he was rolling out and making those types of passes, again, to your point about the injury and whatnot, I'm not sure if that was necessarily on his mind. That Putting on his best Kyler Murray impression really convinces me otherwise. It was just making making play after play when it, when it came down to it. That first drive really impressed me. I think that first drive, he set the tone. You know, it was like, a, what, a 12-play, almost 10-minute scoring drive uh, by Cole McCoy. And just his ability to to really control the pace of the game. I always compare him to, to Chris to Chris Paul because he does everything necessary to come out with the double. He's not flashy or anything if you compare him to Kyler Murray uh, or, or something like that. But just his ability to come out and be the third highest quarterback with the third highest completion percentage. I mean, think about it. On the road against the Seahawks, 
completing 79.5 of your passes. Uh, that's impressive in my opinion. Uh, you know, I there were lots of guys that made plays that I'm like – I mean, the Rondell Moore 11-yard uh, catch and run in the first drive when it was third and ten and he got the dump pass about four yards right in the middle and there was like 40 Seahawks I believe mm-hmm. around him I think that's <laughs> I, I may be I may be misjudging a little bit but there was like 40 Seahawks around him and somehow he managed to get through them all and get upfield and get 11 yards when he caught it I'm like well that's the end of that drive and somehow he got it uh that was incredible McCoy escaping a couple of those uh a couple of those uh near sacks I mean those were I didn't think he had any chance getting out of a couple of those, and then they couldn't bring him down. And I, I mean, those are the kinds of plays that were made. AJ Green, you know, I I know where we remember what happened, and there were jokes yesterday about, hey, AJ Green's really good when he turns around, and I, I get the jokes, but um, he was huge. I mean, if he doesn't make some of those catches when he made yesterday, or draw the PI on the first mm-hmm. drive, it's a different game well, too. Well, what didn't help was against Carolina, he didn't turn around yeah. on one route either. Yeah, so, well, But, uh, you know, props to you. I think it was you who asked him after the game about the finish to Green Bay, correct? Well, it's the first time he's talked since that game, so I, I felt like that had the question had to be asked. He didn't really take ownership of it. He just said, if it was going to happen, I'm glad I was the guy because I can handle it. I have the experience. He didn't necessarily take culpability No, he said it. Was, it. he said the same thing. He said it was a miscommunication. Right. That's so, all he said. Could have been either end. Could have been both to some degree. I, I guess we'll never totally know. Can I uh, extend a little bit on the Rondell uh, performance from you yesterday? You can do whatever you want, Felipe. It's just, I, saw, I saw a tweet, and, and it said that he had negative 11 air yards. Uh, or he averaged. I'm not sure if it, he averaged negative 11 air yards. I averaged, uh, but I could, I could see the total. And he ended up coming out with 51 receiving yards. Yeah. 11 receptions. That just goes to show you that his yards after catch is incredible. Yeah. I mean, his change of pace, he was an extension of uh, of the run game, in my opinion. We kind of, we kind of like underestimated the absence of Chase Edmonds. Don't you guys think in these last three weeks? Because Chase Edmonds was, was that. He was your change of pace running back. You know, you put him in open field, you put him in the middle, and you let him do what he does with his velocity. And I feel like Rondell Moore really – or Cliff Kingsbury utilized him that way. You know, you give him those lateral passes, you kind of let him, you know, do what he does best, you know, force missed tackles, things things of that nature. Come up with uh, crucial first downs, which he did yesterday. So Rondo Moore doesn't necessarily get talked about a lot, but I was going through my stats, and he's actually fifth in, in the NFL among, among wide receivers in yards after the catch. He's played 193 pass snaps. The four guys in front of him are... Cooper Cup, Chris Godwin, Debo Samuel, and Devontae Adams, and they all have more than 300 pass snaps this season. So that just goes to show you that Cliff Kingsbury, uh, in my opinion, is finding the perfect way to utilize Rondo Moore in ways that he would have liked to use Andy Isabella in his first two years in the league. I think he finally found his guy in Rondo Moore. He's been he's been balling out. He's sneaky good. People don't necessarily talk about him. And unless you watch the film, I mean, you look at the stats, you say 11 catches, 4.5 yards mm-hmm. a catch. What, what are they? Who, who's Rondell Moore? Is he a 270-pound fullback? I mean, well, is this Ron Wolfley catching the ball? What's going on here? <laughs> there you know it what is. I mean? Well, I will say one of them is what we were just talking about, which is two of those catches. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think both of them lost yards because they were kind of lobbed out there, and Rondell Moore had no chance, and he got hit literally as he was touching the ball. 
and that's going to drag down your average. And he didn't make a huge, bunch of huge plays, but I do agree. I mean, I, I think I think they're trying to find more ways to get Rondell the ball, but I also think that that's something that Chase Edmonds would do in there. And obviously, at this point, they're, they don't see Eno you know, Benjamin as that guy, so you, you ride James Conner as the main running back, and, and when you want to use a quote-unquote running back or whatever in in the passing game that's that's the role Rondell Moore's taking some of the hits he takes too that he absorbs Rondell Moore yeah it's a good thing he's a rookie and he's 22 because if he was 32 he'd still be in the Seattle hospital I mean he just gets hit and gets hit hard some of the collisions now he does a great job of avoiding a lot of collisions but ultimately because he's always trying to extend and sustain the play he sets himself up for some hellacious hits down in the field uh so but you know to Felipe's point, look at the touchdown drives. 16 plays, 82 yards, nine and a half minutes off the clock. 13 plays, 92 yards, six and a half minutes off the clock. And then that final touchdown drive went 10 plays, just about five uh, minutes off the clock. And there you go. You know, and whether it was James Conner, you want tough yards, 21 carries, 62 yards. He had the touchdown, but he also had five catches for 37 yards. So they were keeping the Seahawks defense honest in that regard and then you know, at least you spreading the ball around when the Cardinals offense has been at its best it's those games when Kyler Murray has hit eight or nine different receivers A.J. Green was involved you know everybody seemingly had a role who was suited up and uh you know so without all that and look you can talk about the game plan and everything and uh if you have been following the Cardinals on a national basis then you're talking about the guy who's doing the game planning and the guy who's doing the play calling and, Darren, you had asked Cliff Kingsbury a question on Monday. Go ahead. Let's do a dramatic reenact. What was your question again for Cliff Kingsbury? Because this was sort of really the, should, the press conference should have ended right there with a mic drop. I, uh, I'm working on a story on Cliff, and I wanted to ask him. And, and to be fair, I did tee him up a little bit. And, and not tee him up like he didn't know it was coming. But I could have just asked the question straight. I think if you ask the question, this question straight, it's very easy for him to give a cliche answer. So I, I prime the pump, as you will, a little bit and said, look, I'm going to ask this. And I know this is not something you like to talk about or like, you know, will say anything about, but I'm going to do it anyways. So now you're, you're effectively trying to get him to put his guard down a little bit. Either put his guard down or feel challenged. Oh, oh! Huh. You think I'm not going to say anything? Well, maybe I'll say a little something. You know, <laughs> yeah. I've got a ego. quote for you, tough guy. Here we um, go. <laughs> and and I said with you know, and I did it in a nice way because you don't want to say, hey, all these people thought you were a terrible hire. So I didn't say that. But I'm like, with everything, all the questions around you when you got hired about whether you could succeed on this level, is where you are with this team give you any personal satisfaction? And he proceeded to say and i'm paraphrasing only to a a certain extent cleaning it up a little bit but he basically said no i don't get any personal satisfaction but i will say that i like the fact that the family that is my family that's been behind me all these years and the friends that i've had been behind me all these years they don't have to hear me being called a dumbass anymore and it was a pretty good quote i i was quite proud of myself (laughs) it was a good quote and you know what there's a lot of truth to that. Now, look, he's he's a guy, he's a guy who has joked about the Ted Lasso comparison, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. His introductory press conference. Yeah, and yeah he, he did do that. You know, he? the gallows humor where he said people looked around, and go, "What are they serious here?" Yeah. You know, is, you know. So I mean, he's joked about it a little bit, but at this point, at this point, with where this team is at nine and two, 
6-0 and on the road, 4-0 in the division. Absolutely, he should take a moment and flex a little bit. He, he should take a moment, and everybody who doubted him, all the – all the national radio guys. I mean, I'm not going to name any names. <laughs> Keyshawn Johnson, who, who was ripping him and, and <laughs> mistakenly, erroneously calling it an air raid, even to this day in November of 2021, still mistakenly calling his system an air raid in the NFL. And so that's the kind of um, – it, it's, it's always one of these things. It takes almost a year for the rest of the country to catch up historically you know that it's sort of like pro bowl voting Mm -hmm. (laughs) honestly for the national media to catch up to phoenix sports it takes a year just like pro bowl voting you you're shunned early when you know you're not realized early the year before you should go and then you always stay on one year longer like how long did the cardinals have the worst offensive line in the league narrative stick around at least a year to a year and a half too long before the rest of the country realized oh wait a minute the o-line is not a detriment is actually an area of strength. That's a great point. That is a great point. And, uh, you know, I, I get it. Look, he's only in his third year. They were bad his first year. And last year he had a chance to take some kind of step like this, and they fell off the face of the earth. I get that. That's I, I'm not sitting there saying that, you know, he should have been crowned the best coach in the league already. But I, but I will say, and, and honestly, for me, to be honest, Paul, it's it's a little less about the national narrative for me. It's less about Keyshawn. It's less about Rex Ryan, who's moved on to Robert Saleh anyways, <laughs> and um, and more about you know a, a fan base who, and I under look I understand the frustration, uh, whether it was with Cliff or with Steve Kime. I and I I had no problem with the criticism, but I also kind of feel like okay, these are the guys that have gotten you where you are now, and you know. I feel like some people still want to say this is all being done in spite of those guys, and you, you can't, you can't really go there. I mean, either they, either they are part of it, and they're to blame, or they're not a part of it, and they're not to blame. You know, they don't get the credit now, but they shouldn't have gotten the blame before. That's how I kind of look at it. So, um, you know, I, does it help having a next level quarterback most of the time? Yes, it does. But they had to draft them and they had to develop them, and then what happened these last month? is that next level quarterback wasn't in there and you had a coach that figured it out and got you wins in spite of it. And you have a GM who's built a roster that was able to withstand it in spite of it. And, and I just, that's kind of, I feel, I feel fairly strongly about that. I mean, I don't look at it like most fans are going to look at it because that's just, I've done this for too long. I mean, this is all going to change and, uh, unless something crazy happens and I get fired, I'm going to be working with different general managers and different coaches somewhere in the future. You know, even if it's okay, maybe, maybe. Well, not. at this point, won't be in the near future <laughs> because the coach and GM of this franchise They're are going to be renewed right. and get long-term extensions wow. at this rate. I, I look, as as hard as it is for doing what we do, guys, and having to build those relationships when a new coach and or new GM starts. <clears throat> I don't want any changes. <laughs> I I like how I don't know if you guys noticed it because when he first started in the in the league, people were calling what uh, calling it pretty boy football, right? Sure. And I haven't necessarily heard that in the past year, year and a half. I think he put it asleep last year specifically. I have not heard it since his r- rookie year as a coach and whatnot. So that that's always telling. But what's more telling to me is that six and on the road, you know, on the road. I mean. 
and each victory has come by double digits double digits and that's even more impressive you go to tennessee you put on a show in tennessee you go to los angeles where you've struggled uh for all of your career as a coach and you put on a clinic uh there you go to well he didn't necessarily travel to cleveland but your team still puts on the display you come up with a good game plan and you beat the browns just all these victories on the road have i think that should convince national media whoever votes for the coach of the year uh, to give him a case, I think his case was skyrocketed after yesterday's win with another another victory with the backup quarterback. At some point, you know, people are so quick to to criticize him when this team doesn't necessarily perform to their expectations. But at some point, you just gotta look at the way that he game plans for for a Colt McCoy. I think his game plans for Colt have have really, I guess. That shows his versatility as a coach. I mean, you're not depending on your on your star quarterback to take you to the promised land. It's all on you, and I think that was telling. And look, I, I get it that there are some national media types and some media types, period, that might be a little resident, a little hesitant right now to uh, crown him, if you will. And you know what? Based on what happened at the end of last season, I get it. They lost five of the last seven. They went from six and three and flamed out, finished eight and eight, and they ended up missing the playoffs. So – in some regards, that's legit that some people maybe are withholding a coronation or even some of the mm-hmm. appropriate props and praise until this regular season wraps up and then see where the Arizona Cardinals are. And once again, you know, I, you know it's worked so far, the hashtag no Lambo as the Packers mm-hmm. end up losing to the Vikings. So we're just going to continue to roll with that hashtag no Lambo. Nobody wants to go to Lambo in late January, uh, whether it's all expenses paid or not. So uh, well, what, you just what, keep winning. What's this toe injury? for Aaron Rodgers. Can you, can you that's, speak that's to that, Dr. Quiet. Calvisi? I, you know, uh, you know uh, doctors uh, are not something that are welcomed, apparently, in Aaron Rodgers' world. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. He might do knows. his own research. And how did he do it during himself? his uh, COVID quarantine, though? Isn't that the real question? Like, how exactly did well, he suffer said are, injury? There are people speculating, because at one point he went on the McAfee show and said it was a COVID injury. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but if you Google it, I thought this was a joke, too, but it's a, it's a real thing. There's a thing called COVID toe, which has to do what? with blood clotting in your toes after you've had COVID. I did not know that. And if he's having – and I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's – but that's a real thing. And I know he said it was not – it was worse than turf toe. It's going to be interesting to see if it, if it causes him problems because obviously they need him. I, everything you can learn here on Cardinals Underground brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. COVID toe was not one that I expected today. So yeah, that, yeah. That, there I've we never go. even heard of that. That's, uh, well, you, you can look up no context okay. Cardinals Twitter, and you can look up COVID toe. That's right. There you go. Okay. And I literally am writing this down right now like I have my notebook and I'm on the sideline on See, game day. So there you go. you're not prepared there, yeah, Paul. You will good. go and make sure you yeah. are in No, it's, uh, it's very interesting. I thought maybe like, you know, he stubbed his coffee table like the rest of us or something like that and heard his toe that way. I don't know. Or maybe he's playing you just say living that, room soccer or something and he kicked it. I, who knows? I don't know what he's <laughs> you know, doing. So, uh, interesting. But I don't know if that's what it is, by the kay. way. I'm okay. All right. Just well, saying by the way, speaking of, the, of toes and kicking, can I make the segue into Matt Prater? Wow, that was that was uh, and, and can I just professional. make professional? Can I make this one point from the sideline? And um, 
you know, there are those networks, CBS, who doesn't always use a sideline reporter. And uh, here's why it's imperative someone down there is because if you were down there, you'd realize that the missed PAT and the two missed field goals all had one thing in common. Do you guys know what that is? They weren't good. They were all to the open end of the stadium. Uh... And the wind was coming in and swirling on that end of the stadium. And before kickoff, there was already talk on the sideline. If, if possible, you don't want to attempt any long field goals okay. towards that end of the stadium. Now, when he nailed the 53-yarder, that 50, was the other way. it was the other way. That's a good point. But all the misses were towards the open end of the well, stadium. I will say this, and obviously I couldn't see it from the press box live, but I saw it on the replay. He absolutely had – I mean, the laces couldn't have been any more center cut for his foot on, oh. on the last oh. field goal. Gotcha. And, you know, if you've seen Ace Ventura, sure. lace is out, baby. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, my esteemed colleague, Dan Marino, would tell you uh, lace is out. That's it's right. Okay. But so I don't know if, if that – and that did seem like the worst of the three kicks in mm-hmm. terms of how it fluttered. And, I, you know, I can only imagine trying to kick with the laces on your foot. But that makes a lot of sense to me over that end of the stadium and – so you're blaming it on Andy Lee. Is that what you're saying? I'm not blaming it on anybody. I don't know what happened. I know this. Yeah. I was standing in that tunnel as they were coming out because I saw you out on the field there, Paul. And uh, as they all come in and everybody's smiling and talking to sign guy and, and waving to the fans. And the one guy who wasn't was Matt Prater, who looked like somebody just broke his favorite toy. And he was stone-faced. And it looked like they lost by 42 points the way he looked. And I could understand why. I think he's uh, he might donate his his arm to Aaron Brewer so he can come back. Do you think that had a, had something to do with it? Does your long snapper, and I know it does, but to what extent would it really complicate things for you when it, when it comes to I mean, your field goal, your field goal group not having someone like him? I can't speak to that. I mean, unless unless knowingly unless you go from a right hander to a left hander and the ball's spinning the other way, <laughs> uh, that's about the only thing I can think of. You know, that is unless the ball's hitting the turf or, or what have you. But yeah, after the second miss, um, you know, you really have one job as a pencil neck sideline reporter, and that is stay out of the way of the specialists. Don't get anywhere near the kicking net when you're walking around. Stay away. You know they're going to be practicing the long snaps. Speaking Don't of that, stay away. And once he started missing, I stayed a good distance away from Matt Prater. <laughs> put it that way. I want to stay for the record. So, recent Cardinals folktales. Uh, if you haven't been watching slash reading slash listening to the Cardinal folktales uh, videos, articles, and podcasts, please do so because it's they're really good. Uh, but the last one we did was Money Mike's Redemption. Uh, Michael Adams making the big play against the Packers in the 2009 playoffs, January of 2010. And I don't know if you recall, Paul, which I'm sure you do because you just did the podcast, but uh, Neil Rackers misses a 34-yard field goal on the next-to-last play of the game that would have not had it go to overtime, and it would have saved everybody a lot of things. Well, until we revisited it all, I had totally forgotten about that. I had not. But uh, So anyways, he missed it, and uh, you just shook my memory a little bit because I was watching – the replay of that game while I was writing the story to get a sense of it. And the Fox cameras, of course, on the sideline before that field goal was of, were of course taking picture, taking shots of Neil Rackers warming up and who almost got in the way of one of the kicks, like literally walking within like a foot of the, on the other side, but a foot of the net Paul Calvisi not paying attention. <laughs> no, no, he come almost on. gets Neil Rackers booms that kick, and and Paul had just cleared the net, and he you kind of like whoa, and uh, yeah, 
I, I'm, I, I don't know if you distracted him while he was trying to get ready for that last kick, but it's possible. Darren, you know, the margin of error <laughs> is small down there. And, uh, you know, those of us who have been doing this for a while, we do step around that thing adroitly. And, yeah. uh, you know, sometimes it might look like it's close, a close shave to the uninitiated. But those of us, no, that's just sort of. You, fl- you flinched enough, Paul, that uh, there was uh, there was uh, something going on in your head. Did, it, did it look like Neil was doing it on purpose, though? Did he see Paul start walking in his way? And he's I, like, you know here's what? The thing. I'm gonna teach him what from what I know about from how I know Neil there could be that chance but not <laughs> yeah. in that situation it yeah. was the end of a playoff game Neil was very and and yeah no yeah. I don't well, I don't think that there was, was that moment in the Cardinals locker room once upon a time when Deuce Latouille and Darnell Dockett both told me that when they come barreling out of bounds they look for guys like me to break their fall there you go that's what they used to tell me so see uh, they're just being honest yeah, with you you got to keep your head on a on a swivel. I'm not really sure how you could break Deuce Latouille's fall. Yeah, but that's just, yeah, yeah, you wouldn't even you see me. You might just get broken. You wouldn't even see me. I get, I get, I get buried. Uh, uh, I feel like we should insert yeah. Wolf's story about being tackled by Refrigerator Perry on yeah, that one. Yeah, there you go. Uh, by the way, did you, if you're into watching the old video from that game, Darren, maybe you need to double verify your stat on azcardinals.com Uh-oh. because I'm calling cap on the whole. The Cardinals have fumbled the ball 22 times in 11 games, and they've only lost three of them. Are you sure about that? Have they really fumbled it 22 times and only lost three? Go look at the official stats, Paul. I even looked it up before I wrote it. I thought that's what it was, but I double-checked. Are they being generous with what they're defining as a fumble? I mean, like, if you kind of bobble the ball and then pick it up, you know, is is that considered a fumble? You know, if it hits the ground first and then you feel it like a ground ball, a shotgun snap, is that considered a fumble? I believe so. Okay, well, there you go. Because, I mean, how many – how many different snaps have there been that have hit the ground this year? Mm-hmm. I mean, le- at least seven or eight, at least. You think it's seven or eight? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Don't you guys I, remember? I'd like, I'd like to see you go talk to the centers about that and see how they feel about you just assuming. Yeah. Notice how much more bold I am when the locker room's off limits here in post-COVID. There's no, there's no meetings in the breezeway anymore. You know, that's right. I can only picture uh, Paul Cavici talking to Rodney Hudson about it. Hey, Rodney, were you <laughs> no. just not snapping Dude, the ball? Dude, there's like seven or eight crappy snaps, right? Yeah. Those shouldn't count as <laughs> no, wait, Most of those were the three games that Rodney missed, obviously, oh, if Rodney's listening. I just want to <laughs> clarify. Maybe Max Garcia. I just want to clarify on that. So, uh, (laughs) you know, look, anytime you go to Seattle and the 12s turn on their own team when they're booing the home team in Seattle, guess what? You came, you saw, you conquered. When you leave the Seahawks one and four, when Sign Guy has nothing left, he's just standing there at the end of the game, and he doesn't even have some snarky misspelled sign to put up for everyone to read. Uh, that's when you know that, guess what, you, you've you checked that box for the fifth time in seven years in Seattle. He, uh, he was talking to Michael Bidwell, and he actually wished Michael Bidwell well in the playoffs, and then very genuinely he was like, make sure you stay healthy. <laughs> Well, that means Michael's a lot. Michael's like, we're going to do what we yeah. can. That always means a lot coming from a heckler. Appreciate it. Look, I just feel bad for America that the Seahawks' next game is on Monday Night Football. I mean, who are they uh, playing? In these turbulent times, the last thing America needs right now as we try and rebound uh, on every front, seemingly, is more Seattle Seahawks football in prime time this time against Washington. See, oh boy, Washington, Seattle, yeesh. Although, don't bring up prime time right now. There's, a, there's some salty Cardinals fans, and I understand it that. This team is playing so well and really hasn't gotten any primetime love. So. Any Sunday any Sunday night flexes? 
Although I, I do think that Dallas game might be flexed to Sunday night, so they, they might be. I think there's a marquee happy. matchup that night, though. Somebody looked oh, it, it up. They, uh, we, we're looking at that. There's a marquee well, matchup that night. And the night. way Dallas is playing right now, I know they yeah. won big last week, yeah. but right now when they're playing decent teams, they don't look all that good. By the way, and thanks for asking, if Pete Carroll's looking for some free advice, uh, I'm just going to throw this out there. Instead of spending a good 25 minutes before every game warming up your right arm and throwing the football from 20 to 30 yards and working yourself into a lather as if you're the third-string quarterback, I don't know, maybe you should devote that time into more game planning or more film watching. I mean, the way your season's going and you're out there throwing the ball around like you're some kid who's been, you know, the ball boy for the day, I just, <laughs> you know, it's just to me it's just not a good look. When your team's three and seven, and there you are pregame, throwing the ball around, having a good time, like yeah, it's well, field of dreams. Let, let's find out if Paul feels the same way when he doesn't look. I mean, Pete Carroll looks pretty good for seventy plus years old. <laughs> no, I'm not talking I'm about appearances. Saying, I'm, <laughs> I'm not talking well, about actual uh, physical maybe, appearances. Maybe that's why he's like looking that way is because he's going out wow. and chucking the ball and. No, I'm not saying personally. I'm saying professionally, it just isn't <laughs> isn't a good look. That that's that's just me. That's just me when I when I see every single time the Cardinals play the Seahawks, we have to endure that watching his pregame warm up. And uh, you know what? I saw, I saw a suggestion that said he should he should parachute out of the Seattle situation because it's probably run its course, and he needs to go back to USC and wrap it up by rebuilding the USC program. Wow! How about that? That's shade. That's how about shade. that? I, I mean, don't know if it's shade. I, I that that actually might interest him. I don't know. Although, if I'm 70 years old, the last freaking thing I want to do is go recruit kids and tell these 18-year-olds how great they are. Yeah, if he can't relate to his own players at the NFL level, what makes you think he's going to be able to recruit 18, 17, 18-year-olds 18 from, from high school? Could he get the band back together? Lane Kiffin's a head coach at Ole Miss. Sark's a head Probably coach at not. Texas. I mean, uh, could he get the band back together? And uh, I mean, who else is going to be a likely candidate that could do anything with USC football at this time? Reggie so, Bush. No, I'm just kidding. By the no, way, uh, Ohms, Ohms uh, with the quality eavesdropping, uh, sent me this note that the uh, the the night the uh, Cardinals or the day the Cardinals play at the Cowboys, the Sunday night game is Minnesota at Green Bay. So a, a replay of that pretty nice game. And I would think, as long as those as long as Minnesota stays in the playoff hunt, they're not going to change that. Those are a couple of pretty good TV teams. I would think the Cardinals Cowboys isn't better a better matchup just from like a performance standpoint than but the they Vikings. Don't, they don't pick TV from performance standpoint. They pick it as mm. p more people going to watch Vikings Packers or they're going to watch Cardinals Cowboys. It's close, and I'm not saying it can't happen. But I'm think I'm saying if the Vikings stay in the playoff hunt and we know the Packers will, that's not getting changed out. I don't think. All right, so here's what we know going forward. Cardinals are on the bye week. Cliff Kingsbury said after the game, uh, how you feeling? about it? Ostensibly the question was about being 9-2. and two. He took it more literally as well. I'm tired. I'm tired. We played 11 games. You know, uh, Cliff Kingsbury is a grinder, so he said he's looking forward to his couch and uh, getting some sleep and, you know, some Thanksgiving. By the way, is that not an opportunity at azcardinals.com? Take the Cliff soundbite where he said he's looking forward to his couch and somehow do something with that you know, a la the famous draft picture of him on his couch. That's a great point. There should be something with the couch All and right. Cliff. I'm going to I'm gonna go talk to Zach as soon as this Got to be over. something like a Thanksgiving. Like, you know, Beautiful. this time Cliff's like, and let's let's, let's go ahead, uh, Calvisi Consulting and Company here. He's he's on his couch, feet on the, on the coffee table again. 
except maybe he has a top button undone on his uh, pants, his tight why, pants, because he know. just ate dinner, and maybe he's got a, like a turkey leg, he's, and it's still in his hand, and he's nodded off asleep, and you know, see, I don't know. See, I think you're getting way too complicated. I think the easy, easy one to do is just put the do the do like a a, a quote box with the photo. I think that's the easy one no, to do it. No, there needs to be some serious Photoshop in there. Nah. You know, with uh, with uh, there he is. Maybe you can get sloppy with Photoshop, and then it just looks stupid. He's in here at 4:30 every morning, working out, keeping in shape. Maybe give him a big gut after a big. You know, have him uh, give him, add about 15 pounds. You know, around the middle, give him a spare tire. I don't know how that would <laughs> go over. There's a lot of filters on on social media applications that can give you 15 pounds. We can always. <laughs> We can walk up to Cliff tomorrow and just be like, "Hey, can I take a selfie for this filter? And see how you look with extra 15 pounds." You think he'd be? You think he'd be up for that? You know, they're nine and two. He's in a better mood. Uh, you know, mood. here's here's what you do, Felipe. <laughs> you you test it on Calvisi, who's also thin as a rail, and and you and you do it and you show Cliff and say, "See, this is what Calvisi would look like." Well, let's try that, that with you. you. No. Darren, Darren's deferring. He really shouldn't. Uh, it's all who asked the question. Obviously, Darren's on a roll based on the dumbass question earlier. <laughs> so Darren goes up to him. He asks about this scenario, and, and, he, and once he, and he starts it the same way. It's the reverse psychology. Now, Coach, I know you never do this, but, <laughs> okay, and then, boom, all of a sudden Cliff Kingsbury, you know, goes ahead and he fulfills that, and, and there he is on the couch, you know. So, yeah, that, that could be one way to uh, go about that if you're approaching him. So, uh you know, I look, as Zach Ertz said, uh, and I'm quoting now, there's no worse feeling than losing before the bye week. So at least the Arizona Cardinals don't have to worry about that. And uh, Zach Ertz, I don't think we've mentioned him enough, uh, obviously was a big part yeah. of that game. And, uh, you know, think about think about this offense now. Kyla Murray's return. DeAndre Hopkins is back what DeAndre Hopkins does to defenses and coverages and how it trickles down through the entire offense. Zach Ertz seems to be in a good flow now. There's no more learning curve. And, man, okay, we'll see what happens when the Cardinals go to Chicago. And uh, albeit, So you next know. week we'll start talking about what snow gear you're going to wear? <laughs> I actually looked. And in true Chicago fashion, I just took a look, and I don't really need to look because I know Chicago weather. That that game in early December could be 50 degrees. It could be 50 below. You have no idea. It could be anything. And, and we're too far out to really. And, and literally over the next four days, the Chicago forecast calls for one day the high is 32, another day the high is 54. So that's my, the way my, it varies. My son did look it up. The long-term forecast, and again, we're so far out, so much can change. Margin of error, 97%. But. Right now, the day of the game, it was supposed to be like 45, but it's supposed to snow the day after. So mm. you never know. Yeah. Well, it was low 40s in Seattle. By the way, Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins, yeah. welcome back. Yeah. Now you get to play in the snow. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, there. And, and by the way, Justin Fields suffered the rib injury, so it might That's be Andy too. Dalton by the time you get there. We'll see exactly also, how that transpires. Cardinals folk tales. The episode that I worked on the most. Thanks, Coach. That's coming out that week, too. Mm. Very excited about and that. And Flight Plan, too. Got to give some flight love plan to the guys. That flight Plan. No, Flight Plan this week. Wednesday. And, and that, that'll that be Wednesday on, on YouTube. And then uh, the following on the on the 1st, December 1st, will be the Folktales Thanks, Coach. And that will be the folktale about Denny Green's famous rant after the Monday Night Football game. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. All right. There you go. That's good. About the only other takeaway I say I would have from Seattle is I'm still shocked there's no Starbucks actually 
on the Seattle sideline. At we some, had one in the press box, Paul. There you go. It just it isn't field level yet. That's really the only square block of real estate in Metro Seattle that doesn't have a Starbucks on it yet. But one of these years we're going to go up, and there's at least going to be a Starbucks cart somewhere around the 30-yard line on the yeah. sideline. I went ahead and had uh, had a cup or two. That's always nice. <laughs> Saved me a lot of money, too. It's uh, And it was to order, wasn't it? I mean, there was like a full-blown professional barista taking there's orders. There's a barista, but it's not full-blown. There's you can get there's like six drinks you can get. Really? Because I heard some guy give a very specific custom order as I was well, walking by. Well, you can pick between like soy milk and okay. whether it's iced or and, and whatever. But, you know, there was like, there was like soy milk. six drinks. That's soy great. milk at Starbucks. I've never. That's I great. didn't even know they. The wind chill's like 33 degrees on the sideline, and Darren's up there trying to decide. Gee, should I have the soy milk, or maybe I'll have it steamed, <laughs> or, or you know, is it quite hot enough? Can you get it to 182 degrees, please? You know, I mean, it's great. That's you know, that's your best, uh, but, Darren Irvin. No, that's everybody in the press box who's not me. That's just that's just my blanket voice for everybody we don't want in the press, you box the press box who's not me. Like Wolf, I hear Wolf complain during the commercial breaks. Geez, my coffee is a little cold over here, and I'm like, yeah, really, Wolf, you want to come? down to the sideline, spend three hours down here, pal. Okay. It's like, why am I standing now? I have no idea why <laughs> I'm standing. Why am I actually we standing? We got to go. It's a short week, Paul. That's right. I forgot. I'm tired already, you know, and it, and it has nothing to do with trip to me and the head coach finally have something in common. We're both tired, and that'll do it for Cardinals <laughs> Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation.